Good morning. Um, first, welcome. I'm so glad you guys are here. Um, I'm really excited for today. Um, you know, COVID has uh, impacted our lives in myriad of ways, um, more ways than we can really even, I think, put our fingers on yet. But one of the, one of the primary ways um, that it's impacted, I think, most of our lives is in regards to corporate worship. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, we as a family haven't been back to church since March. Um, no chapels, so corporate worship has, has been deeply reduced in my life. Um, I'm guessing in many of yours as well. And you know, it's, it's in corporate worship where we have a unique opportunity um, to have our hearts and our souls recalibrated, um, to be reminded of, of what's true and what's the greatest truth, you know, what's real and the greatest realities. And we do that by encountering Jesus together in community. And we, we encounter him because he's alive and he's risen. And that real truth governs our lives. But when we encounter him in community, it creates a unity. It creates a depth. It creates and nurtures the body of Christ. So we get to do that in chapel three times a week. And it's one of the things I've been most excited for. Um, so we get to encounter Jesus together um, as a community here at Covenant College. And I count it as one of the true great privileges, not just of my job, but of my life, that I get to do that with you. So super grateful that you're here this morning. It's going to be a little bit weird this semester. Um, you know, you look around, you guys are feeling it. You're probably running into the wall uh, of reality of what that's going to be like. We're not made to be sitting six feet apart from one another and wearing masks, right? We're made to be in close community, intimate as, as a body of Christ. Um, but God is gracious, and I, I truly believe that God will, will help us to be creative and by his spirit will empower us to create community and to be intimate in different ways. Um, so you're here, seated apart a little bit, wearing masks, thank you. One of the things that can't happen inside when we worship is we can't sing um, because we don't want to um, share our aerosol plumes with one another. Uh, so we're getting creative in how we do music in chapel, and you saw some of it today. Um, and we'll the Hill Sisters are going to sing a little bit more in just a few minutes on, on the screen. But we're going to continue to try to be creative in the ways that we foster uh, worship in the encountering uh, of Jesus together. Um, just a, a quick overview of this semester and what things are going to look like. Uh, regarding the chapel schedule, you, you already clearly have a feel for it. Um, what we're doing to keep numbers down is we're going to do um, Carter Hall and Andreas and student apartments together. And then we're going to do Mac and Founders and off-campus together. So um, you should have already received an email with the schedule. Um, you can also look on the chapel page on the website and see the schedule. And Kat will send a reminder for, I think, every chapel or maybe every week uh, of the chapels. So most of them we are hoping to do outside. <coughs> we can gather um, two to 300 people outside. Uh, for those of you who are at Convocation, it's super cool being out there. And it's beautiful and um, outdoors we can actually sing so that will be really nice um, one yeah right uh, one of the things that will happen outdoors it'll be a little bit different than convocation is um, masks yes but we need to socially distance as individuals um, for chapel so it won't you won't be able to sit with roommates or with suites or with houses um, everyone's gonna have to have that six foot um, space so what we'll do is we'll we'll get we'll do some arms out and spinning sort of thing and make sure 
um, but we'll be doing that for, for every chapel. Um, the weather is going to be an issue because we live on Lookout Mountain, and you experienced it this morning. Sorry, I made a call. I made two different calls, and Kat's the one that has to send the emails out, and she's so organized and disciplined, so um, you can give her a big pat on the back, and, and well, no, you can't. Uh, don't touch her, but you can wave at her and like give her those knowing-looking eyes. Um, but we're going to try to send emails out. I think we're going to move it a little bit later. We're not going to make the call on weather until probably nine, between 9 and 10. So keep your eyes open if the weather's a little wonky. Uh, but we're hoping to do it outside as much as possible. Um, and now, so we had talked a lot about whether or not to do chapel um, as a required thing this semester. Um, and lots of reasons to have mandatory chapel and lots, lots of reasons this semester that we really honestly entertain not doing mandatory chapel. But we decided to go ahead and make it mandatory, um, but we're reducing the requirements dramatically. So here's what it looks like. Over the course of a semester, you're going to have 18 opportunities to come to chapel, and you're only required to come to 10 chapels. Um, and those are all outdoor chapels. So when they move indoors like this, um, we'll still take chapel, like if, you, if you're one of the first 112, 120 that comes, you'll still get credit for it, um, and it'll count as one of your outdoors, but um, we're going to figure out how to kind of orchestrate things so that everyone has equal amount of opportunities. Um, we also have had, for those of you who, who are new, um, if you end up missing significant number of chapels, um, Kat, what's the number this, this year? No, how many can they miss? Eight? Yeah, so if you miss over, like 10 is going to be really easy to make. If you miss over um, the eight chapels that you're allowed to miss, um, we'll ask you to watch that chapel, watch one of the chapels that you missed, and write a summary on it, um, and you'll submit it to Kat. Um, and those are, those are 500 words for the first four, and then if you go over that, they're going to be 1,000 words. So just a, a deep encouragement to, to come and be present. Um, this morning, we're going to listen to a little bit more music. Uh, the Hill Sisters, Leslie and Lisa and Lana, are going to lead us a little bit more. And that's going to happen in just a sec. So I'm going to ask you to stand, if you would now. Go ahead and stand. Um, and I know, really, I do, because I've, I've been trying to do it too, worshiping without singing and in a community where we may not be like body movers is a little weird. Um, but I encourage you to worship um, as you're able. And, and that might mean something physical for you. Um, it might mean just closing your eyes and being in the Lord's presence. Um, but I encourage you to worship as God makes you able. Um, and then after uh, the Hill Sisters lead us, um, Dean Voiles is going to come up and share uh, for the rest of chapel. Um, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll listen to some more worship. Uh, Father, thank you uh, for your mercy, uh, for your graciousness to us. Thank you for the gift of being able to gather. Um, Lord, we are so, so uh, hungry for uh, communal worship and so grateful that we have this opportunity. Um, by your Spirit, Lord, will you make us able to come into your presence, um, to encounter your risen Son by the power of your Spirit, and Lord, to be drawn closer to you and closer to one another. Uh, please bless us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
Please be seated. Good morning, Covenant College. I, uh, I'm just going to name it. This stinks. You know, but the alternative is to not be here. And so I hope that that can be, again, what we're focusing on is what we're doing to be here because we heard it loud and clear that you guys wanted to be here. And these are the things that we've got to do to make it possible. So thank you your patience with us. Thank you for your willingness to do this. I wanted to just have a little bit of time here. I've done this with the employees, the faculty, with the student development staff, the student leaders. I want to share with you a little bit of the heart behind this reopening plan, why we're doing, hopefully, what we're doing for one another. I wanted to start with two apologies. First of all, I apologize for the incredible volume of emails you've had to read from me this summer. That is ridiculous, so sorry. Thank you for hopefully reading at least some of them or part of them. I also want to apologize for my dancing on that Osho video. There should have been a warning attached to that before you had to see it, but I'm thankful that my wife can cover once again a multitude of my blemishes. I want to talk today a little bit to you all from the Gospel of Mark. I don't know how familiar you are with Mark. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's a Gospel that takes us very quickly into Jesus's life. The first eight chapters are really spent helping us understand who he is. And there's this crescendo at the halfway point in Mark chapter 8 and a second one in chapter 15. In chapter 15, as Jesus dies on the cross, the Roman centurion 
looks and sees how Jesus has died, and he says, surely this is the Son of God. So something about the way Jesus died on that cross stood out to him that he saw that. An outsider, a Gentile, recognized it. But I want to focus today on the first sort of crescendo, that halfway point of the book of Mark in chapter 8. Jesus has been doing amazing things. He's been teaching with authority. He's been acting with authority, with miracles. And we come to this point in chapter 8 where he turns to his disciples and he says, Who do the people say that I am? And the disciples say, uh, some, some are saying John the Baptist. Some are saying Elijah. Some are saying the prophets. And Jesus responds to their answer with another question. Who, who do you say that I am? Now, we've all been in class when a professor, a teacher asks a question and we're kind of put back on our heels and you're hoping somebody else is going to answer because you're not quite sure. Peter's that guy. He steps up. He says, you're the Christ. You are the Messiah. What's interesting and what I wanted to read to you all is what happens immediately after that. Jesus, uh, this is what Mark recounts. Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he, being Jesus, rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. So Peter has been walking with Jesus for these months and early years of this, this earthly ministry, and he's seen amazing things. He's seen Jesus teach with the authority that none of the teachers of the law have. He's watched him demonstrate authority over the natural, calming the seas, multiplying food. He's seen authority over the supernatural, casting out of demons. In one case, in chapter 5, a legion of demons. He's demonstrated his authority over sickness and over death. And so when Jesus responds to Peter's proclamation, this should be a, a wonderful moment, he, Peter got it. He got the answer right but he didn't know the full implication of it. Peter rebukes Jesus. So no, 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 Jesus. I know who the Messiah is supposed to be. The Messiah is the one that comes to usher in this new kingdom. We're tired of being in subjugation to this Roman occupying force. We're tired of not having our own home, tired of persecution. The Son of Man was to come to conquer, to reestablish us as God's people. You're wrong, Jesus. 
And Jesus, in turn, rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan. We know from Matthew chapter 4 in the wilderness that Satan tempted Jesus three times. And one of those times was he offered him the entire world. All of the kingdoms of the world will bow down and worship you if you will worship me. Satan offered a shortcut. Peter, in so many words, is doing the same. No, 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 that's not the way the kingdom is supposed to come. It's supposed to come in another way. Peter represents us. Anytime we set an agenda for God, that we think he's to behave a certain way, act in a certain way, Peter represents us anytime we think that suffering, discomfort, isn't part of of life in the kingdom. And so I share this on the front end, that it was, it was inconceivable in Peter's imagination that the Messiah would ever suffer, would ever be rejected, would ever be killed. He couldn't conceive of it, and that's why he rebuked. If we don't have a proper understanding of our, of our Savior, if we don't know our Savior, we will really have trouble understanding our salvation. What we've been saved from and what we've been saved to. If we don't know the character of our king, who he is, life in his kingdom will not make sense to us. That's why Peter rebukes him. He's setting his mind on the things of man and not on the things of God. So Peter got the first question right, but it's the same answer that even the demons get right. Satan gets right. Yeah, you are the Messiah. What the next level learning that has to take place is what does life in this kingdom look like? What's life with this Messiah look like? And so that's where Jesus goes here. We've got to become much, much less interested. We must actually die to our ideas of who this Messiah is and what this kingdom is and understand his. Whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, the definition of the heart, when the heart is used, is meant to symbolize the whole person. The heart is not part of who you are. It is the totality of who you are. And so when a heart the heart is described as someone that is who they are. It's the very center of who we are. It's what defines us. It's what our central animating feature is. It is what is most true of us. So how do we get to know the heart of our Messiah? How do we get to know the heart of our Savior? You talk to him. You read what he has to say in his word, about himself, and about his kingdom. I've um, been reading a book this summer, and it's a book, uh, just reading it devotionally, and it is so rich and so good that I've chosen to savor it. And so Saturday morning, I get up before anybody else, and I do a devotion, I read my scripture, and I read one chapter out of this book. And it's about the heart of Jesus who he, he says he is in his word. 
in four Gospels, covering 89 chapters, Jesus describes his heart one time. Let me read to you what he says. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. One time, and the book is, the book is titled Gentle and Lowly, so that the one place that he describes his heart is gentle and lowly. Let's unpack that a little bit. What, do we, what, what does that mean? Well, the word gentle is used different times in Scripture, but three more times it's used, it is to describe, it's, it's, it's the word meek, meekness. And that resonates with me. It resonates with a vision that I have for student development, for, for our student learning outcomes. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is actually strength exercised under control on behalf of, of another. Meekness is actually being courageous for other people. When you think about who Jesus is, how he was courageous time and time again for the marginalized, for the oppressed, for the outcast, how he was courageous to stand up. He was courageous in being motivated by his compassion. How many times do you see it Seeing this crowd, he had compassion. He was exhausted, but he had compassion. Seeing this, he had compassion to heal, to provide, to care, to talk, to teach, to love. His gentleness, his meekness compelled him to have compassion. The second word is lowly. Again, most often translated as, as humble, humility others focused he is accessible he's thinking of others before himself he's self-forgetting his deepest anguish was the anguish that he felt for others not his own situation not his own sorrows but the sorrows of others the two times that we see jesus crying in scripture is when he's crying over jerusalem the sorrow he feels there and then the sorrow with Lazarus and the family. He feels deeply the anguish of others. So if this is who our king is, this is who our savior is, this is who we are to be. If we call ourselves Christians, if we take the name of Christ, this is what it is. It's who we are to be. My wife has a friend who once said that there's two types of folks. There's people who enter a room and say, here I am. And there's people who enter a room and say, there you are. One is very much a, what can I get? And the other is, what can I give? How can I serve? How can I see who is um, hurting? How can I see who is not involved and connected? How can I extend love to those individuals. The Son of Man was a phrase that Daniel, in the book of Daniel, it's a, it's a phrase that Jewish people would understand. It was all about the Son of Man who was going to come in this marvelous glory, 
from heaven with power to restore Israel. And so when Jesus says, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again, that rocked their world because it wasn't their image of what the Son of Man was supposed to do. They didn't understand that his power is in his weakness, that he saves by losing, that he lives by dying. If he had gone the way of strength, as Satan wanted him to, as Peter wanted him to do, it would have been in vain, it would have been losing. He would have come into weakness. But by going the way of weakness and being obedient and relying on the Father all the way to death, he comes in strength. So this call here to not set our mind on the things of God, I mean, not set our mind on the things of man, but to set our mind on the things of God, this call here that anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. That is Christ's call on all of his people. That's kingdom life in Christ's kingdom. A call for me to lose for the sake of others. Someone uh, asked me, we were having a conversation a few weeks ago, and he said, what do you think God's teaching us through this pandemic? And I said, you know, a lot of times we don't know in the moment, in times of trial and difficulty, what we're learning. It's always when we look backwards that we're able to see, oh, that's, that's what he was doing then. But my response was, I'll tell you what he's doing right now in my heart, is he's identifying idols. And the two that immediately came to mind is he's identifying an idol of my comfort and my identity. And as I was reflecting and thinking about this talk today, I started thinking about the cross. Because isn't that exactly what the cross addresses? The cross was the most public and the most painful way to die. It's a prolonged asphyxiation of someone. And we like to think of Golgotha as sort of this distant hillside where a few people were gathered around. Golgotha was actually right alongside the main thoroughfare. And this was on, the, on, on, the, on, the, on that Good Friday, that crucifixion, that was actually, the, the, the people were coming into Jerusalem for the Passover. So scholars will say that there were likely tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people walking by, seeing this man dying the most shameful and the most painful death. And you can't help but imagine that some of those people had actually seen Jesus a year before, two years before, working miracles and doing mighty things, and then they see him there, and then, well, I guess he wasn't who we thought he was. But I thought about that that cross was addressing these twin idols of our comfort and of our reputation. And I find myself now in this sort of gospel moment of, of COVID, and what we're asking 
you, what I'm asking myself, what I'm asking of every employee here to do is to give up my comfort, what I would prefer to do, my reputation, my identity, what people think of me, and to do this hard thing. Because I tell you what, if we we're starting this semester more concerned with my rights, my freedoms, my liberty, my comfort, risk tolerance, my life. I'm not hopeful. But if we are believers in Christ and we, we understand this call to deny ourselves for the sake of others, if that's what life in the kingdom is, if we're able to more be, more, be more focused on, on your health and your safety and your risk tolerance and your life, that, that's our motivation. And I become more hopeful that we actually learn how to do this. What we're asking of you all is hard. It's sacrificial. But it is the way of Christ. It's the way of those who have been called who identify as Christians. It's true that we are citizens of this earth. But we are citizens of heaven before that. And that is more important than my identity in whatever state or country or county or, you know, that I'm from. That what should trump everything else is that I am a believer in Jesus Christ. And that's my motivation to love my neighbor, to put their needs before my own, to be gentle and lowly, compassionate towards the neighbors, to grieve when they grieve, to seek to care for the most vulnerable, to comply willingly, and to ask others to comply. To actually tear down these idols of our comfort and our reputation for the greater good of putting on Jesus Christ. I will fail you all if I limit this only to COVID-19. These things were true before this pandemic, and they're going to be true after this pandemic. What I'm describing is life in the kingdom, life in every one of our relationships. So when you, if and when you get married, if and when you have children, these things are true in those relationships. They're true as you worship and serve with your neighbor in church, with your neighbor in your neighborhood, in the workplace. These things are true. This pandemic is going to pass, but these are eternal truths. It's a pattern for all of life, how we are to live. And I tell you what, this is a particularly poignant, powerful time in our history as a country. We are divided in a lot of different ways, it feels. Hear this again. What ought to motivate us to love one another, to put the needs of others before our own, to be gentle and lonely, compassionate towards our neighbors, to grieve when they grieve, to seek to care for the most vulnerable, is because we want to put on Christ. So think about that, where we are right now as a country. How are we going to love those with whom we disagree? How are we going to love those who have been marginalized? those who don't have the same background as us, those who don't have the same color of skin as us, those who don't have the same advantages of us, what does it mean to be gentle 
and lowly. To grieve with our black and brown brothers and sisters, to help their anguish become our anguish. These things are hard things, but I believe they happen best in community, which is why we're fighting so hard to be here together because we need one another to listen to one another, to be gentle and lowly towards one another as we seek to learn and love and listen well. I believe we can do this, and I'll wrap up with this. The, uh, the redwoods, tallest trees in the world, they get up to 350 feet tall. Their roots only go down five or six feet, which makes no sense when you think about how tall that is. But what happens is their roots go out 100 feet in every direction, and they wrap around the roots of the other redwood trees. And so when the wind comes and the storm comes and the tree shakes, they're locking in on one another, holding each other up. I leave that as a picture for what we can do and what we can be as we strive to do these things together. So that is my hope, and that is my prayer as we go forward. Let me close this in prayer. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your word, for the truth in your word, the certainty of our Savior. Father, we plead for your mercy, for your protection on this campus. Pray, Father, that we would have courage, courage to live in such a way that models Christ, that seeks the good of the other you would increase our faith in you, that we would be surprised yet again in the depth of your concern and love for us. I pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Go in peace.